0: Two Designers Walk Into a Bar is a proud member of the Evergreen Podcasts Network.
1: For more information about our show or to discover more podcasts you'll enjoy, visit evergreenpodcasts.com. anything no <laughs> okay i'll send it to you later <laughs>
0: yeah so far this is going off without a hit welcome to two
1: designers walk into a bar
0: a place where pop culture-loving creatives discover design icons that make us tick, and we share a few cocktails in the process. Yep. Today, we venture back to the groovy 1970s. Bottoms were belled, hips were hugged. Music went grand and cheesy,
1: and the nation gussied up for the big 2
0: We'll meet up with Harvey Wallbanger, Tommy Collins, and a couple pieces of iconic pop culture that have impacted us both. So pull up a stool and join in.
1: All right, Elliot. Welcome back today to 1976. A banner year on so many different fronts. I know... We're a decade apart, so you are celebrating the big 03 in that uh, year. I was going into teenagerhood, I was 13, so today I'm going to talk about a piece of uh, art that was influential to me, as is the music that goes along with it. How about yourself?
0: I think uh, the fact, (laughs) the way you uh, uh, labeled my birthday, I wouldn't say it was 03, I think my parents, if I were to go back in a photo album and look, it would just be a 03 sitting on top of the cake, but being the Dukes of Hazzard fan that you are, I can understand why 03 (laughs) was probably sitting on top of your cake when you were that age. Um, But, uh, yeah, so for me, obviously, very young, Um, but that doesn't mean we don't remember things from that time, and uh, one of, if not my earliest design uh, memory, if you will, was from the year 1976 and I'm eager to talk about that with you all right kick it off all right let's do it (laughs) Uh, all
1: right Okay, okay so uh so why don't you start tell us tell us about this influential piece of design work uh that that really hit you when you were three years old
0: yeah sure absolutely so um and, in a, you know, we joke about these things, but I think with, with both of us, there was something, there was that trigger that really got us interested in or aware of design. There's sort of this thing or this series of things we could point to. Maybe it's of something we were watching on television, or maybe it was something that we got in the mail, let's say, you know, like, I don't know, picture pages or something like this, or Sesame Street, right? All these different things from when we were little, for me, though, it really wasn't something that was related to, to children. It was something that was made for everybody. So for Todd, for I think both you and I and anyone listening who loves art or loves design, there certainly is this thing or collection of things, whatever form it may take, that really kind of, I don't know, piqued our interest or got us aware of, wow, like there's there's this this profession or this movement or whatever you want to refer to it as if you're you know a little kid called design and it's like you just look at something you're like I want to make something like that or why do I like that this period of reflection and whatever primitive form it may take you know I guess we could refer to it as like stopping power like I wasn't paying attention to stuff and all of a sudden there's this thing that I'm looking at or I want it, you know, little kids want things, and it's like, why do I want that? Mm-hmm. So for me, the uh, year 1976, of course, was a big year for the country. It was our 200th birthday. And uh, for a lot of folks who might be too young or might not remember their uh, design history, there was an amazing logo that was developed by the firm Shermayev and Geismar in New York City, still around today. Uh, for the Bicentennial. It, you know, it's it's kind of hard, especially, unfortunately, in our current uh, political climate and, and social climate in this country, to just remember how excited everyone was for the 200th anniversary for our Bicentennial here in the United States. Everything was painted red, white, and blue. You know, every town, every main street you went to, there was bunting parades the fire hydrants were painted red white and blue you know all of these different things flags on the front of everyone's houses you know when i was a little kid i i loved flags in fact that probably was due to the fact that my mom had hung an original uh not original but a 13 star betsy ross flag over my bed <laughs> it wasn't made by betsy ross uh well as far as i know although i guess i should have hung on to that and you, you really know kept i should i should have had it appraised um but uh, so, you know, related to the bunting and everything like this, uh, this designer, um, Bruce Blackburn, really created this, uh, it, you know, in my opinion, today is, as well as when I was three, this perfect, I think, logo that, that just exemplified the spirit of, of the time. To, just to describe it really quickly, it's a star, it's a white star, it's like knocked out of a background. And then the five points of the star are wrapped by these red, white, and blue sort of parallel swooshes. If you sort of think about a Nike swoosh, kind of that comet tail kind of thing, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. but they're they're these parallel red, white, and blue stripes. And, and uh, Bruce Blackburn referred to them as bunting, quote unquote. That was sort of his thing. And it was really, gosh, just a just a timeless logo. It was the right amount of. Um, It was streamlined, so it was certainly modern, but it wasn't cold because it still sort of referenced, again, Main Street and all these sorts of things. His original mark, we'll put this on our website. Folks, of course, can can look it up on their own if they're not already familiar with it. The original mark was just the star. And then um, the Bicentennial Commission wanted this Helvetica type sort of ringing it, this black Helvetica type so that people would know, I guess, when it was outside of its initial context, what it was or what it represented. But I don't even think it needed that. Like, mm-hmm. you know, being a, being a little kid and looking at it, I don't really remember uh, the, the type per se and the fact that it was a bicentennial. I think it was so of its time and it was so in an environment that it was, there's no way that you could have mistaken it for anything else. Even if it was, say, a flag flying in front of the post office, it was always flying under the American flag. Mm-hmm. And so if you're, like, a little kid, it was so obvious and so simple to make that connection. It's one star on this flag. There's 50 stars on the flag above it. This logo has stripes. The flag above it has stripes. Like, it was, I think, for a little kid, it was such an obvious connection. Um, and it was, again, on stamps, patches all of these different things, it was just, I, I still love it. I, I love it to this day. A lot of uh, designers who are around my age, when I have brought this logo up for them in conversation, their eyes sort of light up and they have said to me that they had a very similar response and it's one of the first things they remember as well. So I'm really curious, of course, you were a little bit older, did that have an impact on you? Did you remember it and what was your response to it?
1: Yeah, absolutely, and and you know, uh it's it's almost like you were there um even at a three-year-old level i think you really kind of nailed the um, the atmosphere uh that was going on for the bicentennial you know i I was 13 so i I wasn't around a lot before but i was understanding that this was kind of a big deal uh, for our country and it was um, it was the thing that brought people together the bicentennial obviously the event brought people together the celebrations started a year in advance and certainly this mark was a visual reminder of that and a merchandising reminder of that and uh, I certainly remember very well and the thing that I remember about it is uh, you know I was starting to get into design Um, I was starting to kind of develop a knack for things like that so the first thing I thought was Okay, well, it could have just been a star, but the designer, and I didn't know who the designer was at the time, took it to another place. So it was the, the negative space formed by that ring of bunting that made the star uh, that worked on everything. Um, and it was just, it was simple and it was beautiful and it complemented, as you said before, all the other stuff around it with 50 stars and the other red and white stripes of other flags. So. Yeah, it was everywhere. And when I think about it now, with the experience you and I have in this industry, uh, it really was brilliant. It was tapping into national pride. It was tapping into the history of, of our country coming together. Um, and it gave some stuff for people to buy, to, to, to celebrate this, which I thought was pretty interesting back then.
0: One of the most common things when I was doing a little bit of research about this, of course, was postage stamps. So Mm -hmm. if you think about the post office and postage stamps, I had mentioned a post office earlier in terms of like one place where you might see the flag flying on a a flagpole or something like that. Postal stamps are, are ubiquitous, right? They're everywhere. And even if you don't buy them, but I send you a letter with one attached to it, you're naturally going to see it. I think even today, it's interesting. There are a few postage stamp designs that I've seen there that are, that are currently being used. And there's no way to me that they are not in some way, shape or form influenced by uh, this original uh, design. You had mentioned, I think a minute ago, that you used the phrase going places. And I, I think it, uh, I can't let this conversation go without mentioning Bruce Blackburn also designed the uh, famous NASA worm logo. And not only that, it, the bicentennial logo for years and years and years was painted on like like the Kennedy Center rocket (laughs) buildings or whatever you want to call them where where like the space shuttle was kept and and prior to that of course rockets were kept and this this sort of thing so it was it was truly civic pride on any number of levels it was so so iconic so
1: you're telling me that you can name the number of graphic designers whose logos have been shot into space on like one hand
0: yeah. Oh, definitely like, on one hand, like one finger. <laughs> yeah, no, 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 no. on the
1: outside of outside of
0: rockets. Yeah. Well, I think uh, a, a contemporary designer. Um, I think it's actually at least up to two now. I was reading the other week that there's a new a new logo that's been attached to, to rockets for mm-hmm. for a specific program, space mm-hmm, program. Mm-hmm. But um, yeah, I mean, never. And and then whoever designed the the NASA meatball logo, which I. <laughs> don't have in the files of my of my mind. So whoever that uh, um, designer was uh, that I can't remember, maybe we'll post that on our, our webpage as well. What a privilege. I mean, th- this guy, the fact that he was able to design these two incredible logos that are, are truly iconic in a, any sense of the word, you know? Yeah, to, yeah. to me, iconic is, is like the average, like you and I looking at stuff, it's sort of like, yeah, okay, whatever does your mom know what it is, right? Would your neighbor know what it is? And even if, like I was saying earlier, you remove that circle of type and you showed this, to your point, it was just a negative star inside of these stripes. But Mm -hmm. I think if you showed it to anyone of a certain age, they would say, oh yeah, that's the Bicentennial logo.
1: Well, that was fun.
0: Yeah, so Todd, I don't know about you, I'm feeling patriotic, (laughs) I'm feeling a little bit groovy. I'm groovy. Kind of want to rock out. Always. And uh, maybe that means we ought to take a break get some refills on our drinks, and meet back here around the table Mm -hmm. in just a minute. Great idea.
1: Cutaway music! Yeah, interesting. So um, uh, this would be a good time for me to introduce something from 1976 to, because I can see a lot of similarities if you, is that okay?
0: Absolutely, yeah, 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 Uh, let's let's do this.
1: All right, so I think you went pretty highbrow with the Bicentennial logo, which is great, and it's beautiful. Um, I went a little more lowbrow.
0: Are uh, you t- are you trying to frighten me?
1: No. <laughs> uh, uh, I can't do that with my clothes on. Um,
0: <laughs> yeah, especially if we're – this is just an audio thing, right? Right, right, right oh, Okay, right, yeah. okay, okay. I'm just saying, <laughs> yeah. Uh, yeah. I can describe me. it. <laughs> yeah, any, anyone out there listening, you have just dodged a tremendous bullet. Hey.
1: Thanks, man. I appreciate that compliment.
0: Uh, <laughs> the was my, yeah. I, uh, okay, back to what I was yeah, going to say. Okay. All right.
1: All right. So, as you were talking, and there's some interesting uh, similarities because I picked a piece also from 1976. Um, it did, had not been shot into space, as far as I know yet. Um, but <laughs> when I think about this, it um, had a major impact on me. Um, it was a representation of of um, of a cultural movement at the time too. Um, this is for me. It was the album cover for Kisses Rock and Roll Over, which was their fifth studio album.
0: Okay, now, okay, you've piqued my curiosity. I, I let's connect some dots here. Okay, okay, yeah.
1: All right, so the here's the first dot I would connect. Um, First of all, you reminded me about the Bicentennial logo, um, having kind of this circular motion, these these sort of bunting things that are going around the outside of the star. The rock and roll over um, emblem, let's just say it's an emblem. It was designed by Michael Durrett and um, I'll get into that in just a second. But okay. for all intents and purposes, it's basically a patch, a giant patch that looks like a flaming wheel.
0: If, if I recall, I've actually seen it sold as a patch.
1: Yeah, yeah. Um, and, you know, I know, it's hard to believe a band like KISS would actually sell some stuff like that. Crass
0: isn't. commercialism. I know,
1: it's hard to believe. Anyway, so, so the whole circular motif ties those two things together. What I also found interesting... Um, in addition to the, the circular thing, obviously the, the Bicentennial logo was communicating um, a, a complex message in a really simple form, right? Um, the star, which obviously is on our flag, but it was also used for military purposes and... We didn't want to. Uh, we like I had anything to do with that design.
0: <laughs> <laughs> yeah, but they
1: were they were hiring thirteen-year-olds back then. Yeah. Bruce
0: Blackburn <laughs> was sitting in his studio late one night, looking up at the ceiling, thinking to himself,
1: "What would Todd Coates do? What would Todd Co- What would a thirteen-year-old do?" And no, what I'm sure that they were thinking probably was, you know, let's not make it too military. This is this is a bigger context sure. than just that. The a Kiss album cover um, so Kiss at the time we didn't know this and and I said a few minutes ago in the intro to this Kiss was a cultural phenomenon I mean now we, we sort of look back and it's like yeah okay they've been doing this for 45, 50 years in 1976 nobody bigger on the planet mm-hmm. nobody bigger um, they were coming off of probably their two most popular records that put them out on on the the world stage. This was the next one. This was not, it's not my favorite KISS record by any stretch, but it certainly had the appearance of being this kind of monolithic thing, you know, like like a star would. This, though, was like a flaming wheel. So, it, you know, they were known for their stage shows of fire and explosions and bombs and things like that. And so this sort of fit that, but it also had that Coney Island uh, vibe to it uh, that went along with this sort of traveling circus of, um, of knights in Satan service, as uh, as the rumor was. So the thing, though, that I was trying to get across here is um, the band was really falling apart internally um which it would they would hang on for a few more records but at the time they were really falling apart a lot of conflict inside the band so the beauty of this particular design was there were no uh people on top like there were four members they were the band was completely designed from the beginning to be four personalities that everyone knew their name and here was a case where you've got all four that could be showcased at any time because the album worked as a circle.
0: Whose idea was that?
1: Um, it was Michael Durrett's because the band gave him zero direction <laughs> Speaking, when it came to doing so, this.
0: So they were a client. <laughs> they said,
1: I think it went something like this. Okay, I'm going to do, my, I'm gonna do uh, my impersonation here. Oh, so, Michael, uh, we want you to do something that we can sell.
0: Okay. so that is that I I... is that hoss from bonanza as <laughs> kiss's <laughs> then agent then be... and the liaison with uh, michael durrett
1: then i would have gone dead burn it paul um, <laughs> oh well, well. yeah so no they gave him little direction again the album before this was huge um any other kiss fans out there it's called destroyer and uh it really was a departure for them musically um quite successful So this one was a major follow-up. It didn't hit the same levels of sales, but it certainly sold out quickly. Um, Now, here's the kind of cool thing though. Michael Durrett is from, uh, he grew up in the Coney Island area, near Coney Island. So he was certainly influenced by those banners and signage and flaming wheels of death and amusement (laughs) park stuff. so you can see that when you when you start to dig into the context, it's like, oh yeah, it's really coming through here.
0: Mm. Yeah, I mean, looking at it, we have a, a picture of this uh, on our webpage for those of you who aren't familiar with it. But yeah, like the KISS logo has like lightning tails coming out of it. The circle that you mentioned is kind of like a saw blade. Wasn't, right? that, your,
1: wasn't that your dancer name back in college, lightning tails?
0: <laughs> lightning tails. <laughs> yeah. uh, it, well, that was our dance troupe. <laughs> That was like all of us together. Yeah. We Yeah. It's kinda it was, kind of, was pre river dance, but you know, we held our own. Yeah. Good. Good. Yeah. Cool hand lettering. To your point, like multiple colors, like, you know, these these pops of primary color against like, you know, black and black background and things like this. Yeah, it's probably the best. Certainly in terms of original album art, it was it was made for a, a t shirt, right? Mm-hmm. You know, made mm-hmm. for a patch, that kind of thing and yeah your eye to return to something you said a minute ago your eye just travels around it like there are all these visual cues that for for those of you listening to this on your phone and looking at this uh, one inch by one inch postage stamp and wondering what an album cover is <laughs> you know it was like this this 12 inch square whatever poster right and you'd get it and you, of course you would you'd put the album on and you would you would listen to it and yeah I can only imagine like turning this thing in your hands as Mm -hmm. you're like you know listening to this album for the first time uh super cool Uh, um did they ever use this graphic like in concert was it ever like part of their stage craft or anything like that
1: Yeah, it it sort of was, um, not exactly, which is interesting because I was going to ask you a question that I'm getting ready to answer uh, that you would probably ask me first, which is, why was this so influential to you, Todd? Um, And that's because this this particular album came out November 11th, 1976. Mm -hmm. Um, So near the end, this was their, again, their second album in a year, which is crazy. Mm -hmm. Um, it just so happened my very first concert was November 27th of 1976. Mm. So, yeah, so this was a big deal for me. It will always be sort of connected to that idea of being a teenager, going to a loud... Um, concert at the Dorton Arena in Raleigh.
0: Oh yeah, which is still there today.
1: Which is still there, uh, yeah, National Registry of Historical Places. Yeah, um, yeah. Yep. Only held like 7,000 people or something like that. Folks
0: out there need to look it up though, it's a super cool building. I, I, Beautiful. I, you know, and, and we could go off on a tangent about this, but the first time I drove to Raleigh, when you and I lived in the same city for a little while, mm-hmm. uh, that was one of the first things I saw. It kind of looks like a Pringle chip with sides on it, right? And I remember, it with glass sides, and I remember looking at it and thinking, what is that Mm -hmm. like that just was super cool to me but that's another story for another day hi i'm emma and i'm joe and And we're we're the the professional Professional book Book nerds Nerds.
1: two mondays a month we interview authors and talk about their upcoming books what drives them and their go-to order at the cafe on thursdays we share recommendations and dive into topics readers face like how do i actually read the books on my to be read list You can find the Professional Book Nerds podcast on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you get
0: your podcasts.
1: Want to learn more about us? Our website is professionalbooknerds.com, and you can find us on Instagram, Twitter, and TikTok at ProBookNerds. We hope you'll come and listen, and as always, happy happy reading! reading. So tell me about... The influence um, that the bicentennial logo has had on you.
0: I think the the biggest thing, or one of the biggest things, is design as a unifier. Design is kind of this mm-hmm, mm-hmm. umbrella, um, because to me, what what you talked about, like why this mattered to you, it mattered to you because you can point to a specific n- night literally mm-hmm. like a specific mm-hmm. day in your life which I think is super cool it's kind of like I'm, I'm planting the flag of design and it was also it was a multi-sensory experience right mm-hmm. it was a rock concert mm-hmm. I mean mm-hmm. that's so cool um, and so for me I think going back to what I was mentioning earlier about celebrating the bicentennial if you think about it that was also a multi-sensory experience right mm-hmm. you know there were parades there were TV shows About this like stuff I'm sure I mean I wasn't in school then I was too young but um, my parents certainly had stuff lying around the house like I said whether it was stamps or pamphlets or things like this in fact you can um, and we'll have a link to this you know we we don't make any money from this because we're not smart enough to do that <laughs> but i but i i'll have a link to like if folks want to buy a copy of the standards manual we'll put that up there because the standards manual is being reprinted and one of the things in the standards manual is it shows the storyboards from the animation of the logo for tv which i thought was really really neat um mm-hmm. just thinking out loud about some of the stuff but i think the reason it matters is is we were just bathing in it and i i don't mm-hmm. mean that in a uh, a jingoistic way or an overtly political way like no one was taking sides on this no, it was no, it no. was just a really big party and and i think it was like giving thanks to just the good fortune of hey this experiment seems to have been working by and large for 200 years and, yeah um you know it was right after the vietnam war had ended there was certainly, it's not like 1976 was without its issues. Right,
1: right. Um, so, okay, question for you then. Yeah, so, sure. Because I was i was going to say that too. Uh, you know, there were there were bits of conflict in, in 1976 and, and uh, before, which I'm sure that's the time when they were planning for uh, all of these events and this uh, design work. So how did it start? Whose idea, who gave it the green light to, to kind of, Hold the country
0: together. Do you really want to know the answer to this? It's
1: gonna. It, 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 this is really. This is gonna lower like. Uh, like th- this is. You're gonna tell me there's no Santa Claus now, right?
0: Close. Close. Okay. Almost like, Kiss might not have been like a real, real band. But I'll. I'll leave that for you to reveal to the audience. <laughs> I don't want to. Just like you know, I'm not gonna say anything about pro wrestling because I really don't want to upset anybody. That's right. Um, but. Uh, but yeah, it was Nixon. What? Yeah, what? he was the one who was heading the commission at the time to figure out what the bicentennial celebration needed to be, and so he was the one who helped, uh, believe it or not, pull together this brief. There was like a a competition held, mm-hmm. <laughs> like like all, like how all good design ultimately comes <laughs> to the surface. There is a competition. I don't even know, you know, if there was a. I mean, sh- obviously uh, notoriety was the prize. I'm not sure if there was any sort of monetary to go along with it but mm-hmm. um but yeah you know a bunch of firms uh, submitted stuff Bruce Blackburn worked late burned the midnight oil a few nights and on behalf of you know Shemiah McGeismar submitted this thing and at the end of the day Tricky Dick and company liked it enough that uh moved forward and went into production um wow. yeah it's kind of kind of crazy um wow. Yeah, so you never know. Yeah, obviously I'm too young to sort of remember the Destroyer days and all these these sorts of things. I mean, I, I'm aware of it, of course, but I didn't mm-hmm. live it, quote-unquote. My, my parents were not jamming out the Kiss on the hi-fi when I was uh, <laughs> two years old in the in the playpen or whatever. So why don't you tell me a little bit more, like, like why Kiss? You know, there are plenty of bands hanging around in the mid-'70s. Why Kiss? What was it about Kiss?
1: Well, so the, the band... Uh... As I said a little bit ago, the band consciously made a decision. They wanted to be uh, unlike any other band they've ever seen. They wanted to be the band they had not seen on stage. Uh, They wanted to bring a higher level of performance, a higher level of awe to uh, their stagecraft. So first of three studio records uh, pretty much sounded like a live Concert, um, You know, n- there was there's some gems on there, um, obviously, but it never broke um, until the suggestion was uh, to record their live show because their, their record company was completely out of money. And this was a Hail Mary to be like, oh, well, I wasn't aware of Yeah. Yeah. So so the record that actually broke them was a live record and it's called a live, obviously, just um, fans know that. Um, and it broke them wide open immediately and then they followed it up with the next studio album, the fourth studio album, which is Destroyer, which has great artwork also by mm-hmm. a guy named Ken Kelly and you talked about these, these 12 by 12 posters before that were LPs and certainly vinyl has is, is made a comeback now but at the time um, so this band was mysterious they were characters uh, and there was a lot of um, there was a lot of story around them. Parents were afraid of them. Uh, you know, uh, grown-ups were, were uh, thinking they were dangerous for their kids. Obviously, that made it more attractive to kids. But what we would do as we were listening to these records is we would decipher what these 12 by 12 inch messages were, these, these artwork pieces, we would try to understand, what are they telling us? You know, <laughs> there's secrets in here. Sure. There's secrets in this artwork uh, in addition to the secrets in the, in the music. Um, so it was, it was creating a mythology and it was creating a, a mystique. Um, this particular album cover by Michael Durrett is um, different than all the others. Uh, it was, although he went on to do another one for them years later, named Sonic Boom. It doesn't really look like this. Mm-hmm. But um, the other records that they were creating had a little bit more of a fantasy feel to it. Or it just, it, it, they were not as graphic as this. So this stood out in the uh, in the catalog of, of those records.
0: So how did they find Michael Durrett? Or did he approach them? Or how did that come about? Yeah,
1: the well, the band is from New York City. Um, and they found him... Um, as a, a referral, I believe, I might have to check on this, but as a referral from uh, some of the other uh, record company folks uh, that they were dealing with, um, Michael Duret was, uh, he was popular and he's still doing it too. Um, but he had done some really great uh, magazine artwork for a Japanese magazine, arts magazine called Idea. Mm-hmm. Um, the uh, the band's uh, third studio record also has kind of a Japanese style to it. So they were kind of in tune with uh, woodcut prints, Japanese prints, things like that. That sort of aesthetic, uh, Asian aesthetic. So I think they, they were connected in that particular way. They saw this Idea magazine. And that magazine cover in itself, which this album cover was based on, was... Um, Inspired by, again, shooting gallery, Coney Island, stuff like that. So high graphic, um, bold pattern content.
0: I'm still, uh... <laughs> it's just interesting to me that Kiss was sitting around one day and they looked at the coffee table and there happened to be this Japanese design magazine <laughs> sitting there. <laughs> it's like, where were they? They weren't at the dentist's office, that's for sure. <laughs> yeah. Who did this? Well, you know, Who did this highlights cover? What? <laughs> Todd, you really she really should think about going to the dentist.
1: <laughs> I was I was thinking, oh shit, I don't know the answer to that. <laughs> you, you, why
0: I why give up, I give up. Who? <laughs> I don't know. I don't know, Elliot. <laughs> <laughs> Which highlights issue is that? Hold it, hold it, it hold it closer to the microphone so I can get a good look <laughs> at it. All right.
1: Tell me three things that you took away. From the bicentennial mark that will uh, that stayed with you and possibly still influences you today.
0: Yeah, um, I think uh, design, like a design icon as a as a cultural touchstone. Yeah, there's a thread kind of running through this podcast for both of us. I think it's that. Um, I think the second thing is taking a very simple form and being able to do more with it. you think about it it's not a complex thing I think someone could look at it for a good few minutes and they could remember what it looks like enough to somewhat faithfully I think at least if you were to give someone say a piece of paper with a a red colored pencil a blue colored pencil I think they could get reasonably close with it you know even if they're not a, a designer I would say in terms of the the third thing I think it's um even though it wasn't intended to be nostalgic um you know it it definitely is nostalgic and i think that comes down to kind of like what you said about your evening watching kiss Mm -hmm. um it's it's all what you sort of return to
1: interesting all right so for me three takeaways from Kiss's rock and roll over, designed by michael durrett that that has stayed with me and probably influenced me uh that that time uh to more seriously consider um, design as a career. First of all, for me, it was uh, opening your eyes to uh, uh, influence and in things that were not meant to be highbrow to begin with. Uh, banners, signage, like I said, Coney Island, bubblegum wrappers, wheels
0: of death, things like that. <laughs> and I, th- I think design history and culture is caught up to that in a big yeah, way.
1: Yeah, they I figured totally that agree. Out. Totally agree. But, but using that Type of untrained um, communication art as a departure point has some, has been something that's that's carried. With oh, me. I,
0: I think in the mid '70s, yeah, design high design culture was certainly not about that. Oh yeah, 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 yeah,
1: exactly. Um, secondly, for me is I love I love all of his work, um, and in this one in particular that we're talking about, it was um, he was able to put a voice to letter forms and and, and give them story um, with simple marks, basically. You know, things that we can really simplify, boil down into a, a basic shapes. So it put voice and it put meaning to letter forms. You could actually draw pictures of letters and you could make drawings of letters and things and it would actually tell you part of a story there. Um, the last thing for me, the third thing Uh, for me that that I've taken away uh, from uh, the rock and roll over album cover is the blend of those things together of design and illustration so where does one stop and the other begin like just using and this is sort of part of the second thing I just said just using letter forms is great making them illustrative to help tell a story is great but when you mix all of that together um, that to me is really cool. And, and before you know it, you're looking at something, um, iconic and, and beautiful and worthy of a patch to be sold at a concert.
0: You and I have known each other for a long time. And I would say, I would, I would, uh, classify you if I can, if, if, you, if I could be so bold as a, as a designer straighter, you yeah. know, I yeah. think, I think you deb- both are, are very obviously, uh, going into your work, um, and yeah, I think a lot of designers I like, like I, I'm a fan of Michael Durett's work as well. Mm-hmm. Um, Neville Brody is someone else who I always think of in terms of like, especially 30 or 40 years ago, It was like, oh, this um, typeface I want doesn't exist. It doesn't, there's no typeface that fits the mood I want. So I'll just make it, mm-hmm. <laughs> you know? Mm-hmm. And uh, and and yeah, I think that's a lot of the typefaces for younger designers today that we take for granted. Like Michael Durett, you can buy several of his typefaces they are they're freely available one of my favorites that i i love of his is metro script mm-hmm, mm-hmm. as we start to wrap up is there any are there any other um i would say uh, words of wisdom but anyone listening this long <coughs> their their expectations should be lowered <laughs>
1: yeah i think we've gotten
0: there <laughs> yeah we well, are yeah, still um, but... but in the next hour if you guys stick with us we'll we'll find something <laughs>
1: um you know i think 1976 was an interesting time in uh, in our history, in world history. So much going on, if you compare it to 2020, which is when we're recording this, it would be hard to imagine that we could do the same things again. You know, you, you talked about the unification of the bicentennial.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: Um, we didn't have the level of, of information floating around like we have now. So. Uh, we didn't have the level of influence from um people on the internet obviously everywhere it was you know you had three tv channels and this particular mark the bicentennial mark was everywhere on the three channels and certainly the cultural phenomenon that was kiss was everywhere on on three channels uh, as well so there was a collective um
0: agreement if you will, or conver- uh, conversation. Yeah, yeah.
1: It you know, it like or hate anything, we all got the same story. hmm
0: hmm Well, Todd, this was great. <laughs> we always seem to have fun together, uh, and I always love our design conversations. So, thanks for taking the time, and I look forward to doing it again super soon.
1: Yeah, we got some great stuff planned for future episodes. So, come back, check back often. Hi, while we have your attention, if you want to learn more about us and the podcast, there are a few ways to do it.
0: Visit our website at two 2Designerswalkintoabar.com. All of that is spelled out. No numbers.
1: Kind of a long URL, so do yourself a favor and bookmark it. Once you're there, you can find links to more information about the subjects in this episode, our episode archive, and information about both of us.
0: Wait... We do want people to visit, right? (laughs) Well,
1: oh, and look for us on social media. You can find those links on our website as well.
0: And while we're at it, if you have a friend who you feel will dig on our rambling...
1: Tell him or her what we're up to
0: while we can't guarantee that they will remain your friend, we can guarantee that they will listen to at least 30 seconds of whatever episode you send them the <laughs> link to. That's being a little shameless. And speaking of being shameless, it wouldn't be a proper ask if we didn't mention that if you like what you hear, you can also make a donation via our website. We have a Nigerian prince handling all transactions for us.
1: In fact, he told us to mention that we have stickers to mail to anyone who donates $10 or more. Are we done?
0: We're done. We're done.
1: Hello, and welcome to Novel Conversations, a podcast about the world's greatest stories. I'm your host, Frank Lavallo, and for each episode of Novel Conversations, I talk to two readers about one book, and together we summarize the story for you. We introduce you to the characters, we tell you what happens to them, and we read from the book along the way. So if you love hearing a good story, you're in the right place. Our ninth season is coming this fall. Tune in to hear from some of the all-time great authors, Charles Dickens, Jules Verne, F. Scott Fitzgerald, and more. Subscribe to Novel Conversations wherever you listen to podcasts.
0: Two Designers Walk Into a Bar is a proud member of the Evergreen Podcasts Network.
1: For more information about our show, Or to discover more podcasts you'll enjoy, visit evergreenpodcasts.com.